Take your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Neil mentioned last week that this whole series is an opportunity for us uh, to learn some lessons from the mistakes of others. Uh, And it's not just in the Bible, of course, that we have the opportunity to do that. We should be doing that throughout all of our lifetime. Uh, God presents us with many of those opportunities, I believe, uh, and we should be paying attention. And sometimes we don't have to be the ones that learn from our own mistakes. We can learn from the mistakes of those around us. And we are wise to do so, foolish uh, to ignore uh, those potential lessons. Last week, Neil also emphasized the example that David set for his family Uh, through his own willful sin. uh, We typically think of David's sin as being his sin with Bathsheba, and indeed it it is. But remember, he also took a multitude of wives uh, in clear violation to the law of God. And of course, his taking of Bathsheba, uh, the most wicked example of that, and then taking the life of Bathsheba's husband Uriah in in an unsuccessful attempt to cover his sin. And where we're going to pick up in chapter 13 now, months have gone by. The the time is going by quickly as you make your way through these chapters in 2 Samuel. Months have passed. Uh, The upheaval or the initial upheaval caused by David's sin with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah, have kind of settled down. His public problems uh, seem to have kind of taken a back seat to his public persona, his, his, his glory as being this wonderful king uh, over Israel. However, what we're going to find out, and exactly what God told him, is that his personal life was, uh, was not at all settled down or calm. And, and what we need to remember here is this. David had been thoroughly forgiven for his sin, right? I mean, the prophet Nathan had told him, your your sins are forgiven. You're not going to die for this. However, there was a warning, and the warning basically meant that though David was forgiven of his sin, there would be consequences that would follow throughout his life. God had declared to David, he said, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife. Now, therefore, the sword shall not depart from your house. And then he said, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. So David, though forgiven, was about to reap what he had sown. Our message this morning is really another introductory message on the life of Absalom. Absalom's name is mentioned at the beginning of chapter 13. It's mentioned again at the end of chapter 13, but he is not the main character in this story, though this is leading up to uh, his story, which will occupy most of the remaining chapters of 2 Samuel. The main characters here, uh, we will see this morning, are Amnon, uh, David's oldest son, Absalom's half-brother, and of course Tamar, Absalom's sister. The question that always comes up in my mind when I read uh, these verses from chapter 12 where God says he's going to raise up 
evil out of David's own household. The question is, well, how does God do that? How would God do that? And of course, we know, because Scripture tells us this, that God does not tempt any man to sin. God does not sin himself. So how does he raise up evil? I mean, James 1, verses 13 and 14 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted and enticed by his own desire. And of course, we're going to see that the desire of Amnon got the best of him and created great trouble, not only for David, uh, but for his sister Tamar and the devastation that it brought into her life. And of course, Amnon has no one to blame for his evil actions but himself. However, as we're going to see, and it's going to become clearer and clearer, King David, the father of all of these children, is there behind the scenes really enabling this whole nasty business. We, we are becoming more and more familiar with that term, enable, right? Uh, perhaps we've even been accused of being an enabler. You ever been accused of being an enabler? Often we're guilty of that accusation. Uh, David was an enabler. Uh, yeah, he was a godly king. He was the greatest king that Israel ever knew. But as we know, he was a great sinner, an adulterer, a murderer. Uh, and again, though forgiven completely by God, an enabler of much of the very evil that God raised up in his house. So let's look at chapter 13 together. We're going to read. It's a fairly lengthy chapter. If you do not have a Bible, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read down through about verse 19. Uh, they'll be on this side, right? Not that side. Not yet. We're, we're working on that side. This side, and of course the television at the back, I'm sure, has the words up as well. Chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, now Absalom, so there's, there's the mention of Absalom. Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. So Jonadab was actually Amnon's cousin as well as friend. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. You know, if there's one designation you do not want to be referred to in the Bible, it's that word crafty. Uh, he was deviously, schemingly, deceptively wise. That's what that word means. He was not a good guy. And he said to him, to Amnon, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down, pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house, prepare food for him. So Tam Tamar went 
uh, to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. She took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send everyone from me. Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber. Again, into my, in here where I am. Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them into him to eat, he took hold of her. He grabbed her forcefully. And he said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. And not, and to do this outrageous, and do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where would I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Again, a sad note on David. But he would not listen to her. Being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. She said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman. And by the way, the word woman is included there for our understanding. It's not there in the original text. Put this thing out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the, the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So her servant, so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Let's stop there and we'll, we'll pray and look at this text. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. And we know that within your word are passages of scripture just like this one they're hard for us to read uh, hard for us to to think about hard for us to imagine that there is a lesson here that we need to learn but Lord uh, it is very clear that there is a lesson here that we need to learn Uh, we need to understand the evil that was perpetrated against Tamar Uh, And we need to be determined in our own lives that we will not ever be such a perpetrator. And Lord, that there are people all around us like Tamar who have been uh, those against whom evil has been perpetrated. And we need to love and comfort and protect them uh, as it seems uh, Tamar was not. So Lord, we just thank you for this, uh, again, this, this opportunity to learn from the mistakes of Amnon, of David, of Absalom. Uh, May we leave here today wiser, uh, more aware of the evil that tempts us at every turn. Uh, May we be strong and stand against it. Uh, And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Remember our Our sermon series is entitled Legacy, Lessons from the Life of of Absalom. And again, though Absalom's not the main character here, he's certainly mentioned and he plays a much 
greater role than we, we really see uh, initially. Uh, but again, David is certainly a main character throughout the entire book of books of 1 and 2 Samuel. Amnon here, David's oldest son, heir to the throne. Uh, we can learn much if we will allow ourselves uh, to listen and to, to see. Uh, and the first thing that we see that, uh, that was a characteristic uh, portrayed in the life of Absalom, but I believe also a part of the life of David himself, and you know, thus probably a part of the life of Absalom, as we will see. This, this was the legacy of David following upon the heels of his own uh, evil behavior. All of this coming, I believe, as a result of not only his sin with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah, but of his taking of these multiple wives, bearing multiple children, uh, no doubt, day-to-day -day life uh, in, the, in the palace uh, was not what it should have been. These children did not see a good and godly example from their own father. And as a result, uh, stories like this resulted. Uh, Tamar was beautiful. And Amnon loved her. We're going to kind of question that word love. I believe Amnon probably believed he loved her, but as we're going to see, it was really not love that he had for her, but just a fleshly desire, more characterized by the word lust as we would use it today. And his desire for her was so great that the scripture says that he was tormented to the point that he made himself ill and, and to the point that visibly his cousin Jonadab could look at him and say, why do you look so haggard? What's wrong with you? Are, you? are you sick? And he was sick, but it was not a physical sickness. He was in a state of emotional distress or frustration. And why? Because he couldn't have what he wanted. How many people do you know are just wonderful to be around? until suddenly they can't have what they want. The reality is, and I, Amnon is no child, he's a grown man. This is true in many children, right? Children are great, joyful, full of life. Just a delight to be around until you tell them what? No. Amnon, though a grown man, was still a child. And whose fault is that? At least we've got to add David's name in there somewhere, right? Fathers, moms, we have a responsibility as parents to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to train them up in the ways of God, to help bring them to a place of maturity, David's legacy was not such a legacy. Amnon was driven to the point of emotional distress and frustration by this wicked desire. And you have to remember, the indication here in Scripture is that at some point along the way, and again, Tamar was Amnon's half-sister. 
I don't know exactly how things existed within palace life, but I know that they had to have known each other from the time that they were children. He had seen them probably on a regular basis throughout his entire life. And, and odds are his discovery of her beauty had not just occurred. And so for who knows how long he has been obsessing over that beauty and his desire to have that beauty for himself. And he convinced himself that it was because he loved her. But again, Amnon had not grown up in a situation where he had seen a godly picture of what love is, right? And you know, the reality is for our children as well, parents, we have a responsibility. I think Neil said something along the lines is that the nature of our marriage will have consequences down the road, not only for our children, but our children's children and their children. We have to be that godly example that demonstrate day by day what love looks like. Because the way that the world uses that term today, the way that it is just flippantly thrown around, that's not biblical love. Biblical love is a, is a sacrificial kind of love, a willingness to sacrifice for the benefit of the one I love. There's none of that in Amnon's thought. This is a selfish love that he has for his beautiful sister, Tamar. He only wants to satisfy himself. He really doesn't care about her as we saw as we read the conclusion of this story. So he claims to have loved her, but he really didn't know what love was because he had never seen a godly example from his own father of how a man should love a woman. Again, multiple wives. David was not a committed man. And as Neil said last week, that's not because that kind of thing was allowed scripturally. It wasn't. It was certainly culturally allowed. Nobody would have questioned the great king of Israel about his desire to take as many wives as he wanted. But God had a different opinion. Love is to be expressed in the relationship of a marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. It was true then, it's true now. We simply need to understand it. And when we do not demonstrate a godly love between a husband and a wife, it will result in the very unrest that we see in the life of Amnon. Feelings, desires, emotional upheavals that ultimately, if not checked by the word of God, by the correction of a loving parent, will run wild as it did in Amnon's life. Of course, we see that Amnon had some help, right? His scheming cousin, Jonadab, he was the one that gave him the plan. Amnon was just walking around frustrated. He couldn't get to Tamar. She was among the virgin brides of the king. She was protected. The very clothes that she wore indicated that she was a special class of person. Amnon knew that he, she was completely off limits, even for him, until Jonadab gave him this, this plan. Just go pretend you're sick. Lie down in your bed. Pretend you're sick. And your dad, David, will come to you. And when he does, you ask him to send your sister Tamar to you to prepare some cakes and feed them to you with her own hand. Now let me just say this. I don't know Amnon, other than what we read of him right here. 
but what a baby. <laughs> and men, if the shoe fits, you can just wear it. You know, lie down in your bed. You're sick. I need somebody to come cook and feed me. That is not the picture of a strong, godly man. So red flags are just going up all over the place if we're paying attention. David, the great king of Israel, comes to his son. You know, David, he was probably right to go visit his sick son. Maybe he didn't know how sick he was or what he was sick with. But you know, once David had visited and kind of seen, all right, obviously he's not dying. He's going to recover from this more than likely. David should have prayed for him, told him, son, as soon as you feel like it, you need to get up out of that bed and get back to your responsibility as his heir to the throne. But that's not what David did. David just did exactly what his son asked him to do. And again, we get this picture, just a glimpse, but nonetheless a picture of the indulgent father catering to the needs of his son at the expense of his own daughter. So Jonadab in, are directly helping Amnon with this scheme. David indirectly enabling his son through his own passive indulgence. Unrest in the temple. So Tamar does as she was commanded to do. Her father asked her to go to her brother's house to prepare some food. She did what she was asked to do, just as she should have done. And everything seems to be going along as it should until the cakes are baked and she puts the food before her brother and he refuses to eat. I mean, that was the whole reason he had sent for her, was so that she could prepare for him some food and he could eat. He refuses to eat, and then he orders his servants out of the room. Everybody out except Tamar. Tamar went to her brother, just as he had told him to do, just as she had been told to do, and of course he takes hold of her, and as I said, as I read that text, he grabbed her. There was nothing gentle about it. He didn't just touch her on the arm to thank her for this miserable microphone. <laughs> All right, I'm keep going. He takes her by the arm. That was the second unexpected thing. And then, third, he says, get into the bed, lay with me. She knew exactly what he meant. He knew exactly what he meant. As we read, we know exactly what he meant. And she begins to plead with him not to do what he has planned to do. Do not do this outrageous thing. This is a thing that's not done in Israel. You know what's crazy about that is we just have to go back a few chapters. A chapter, really. And who was doing the very same thing? David. On his roof, one afternoon, rather than being out fighting the wars that most kings were out fighting in this time of year, and David spies the beautiful Bathsheba taking a bath on her roof. And he sends for her. Of course, she has no power to object. 
He lays with her. She becomes pregnant, as we know. Then he kills her husband, Uriah, in an attempt to cover up his sin. So, again, the old saying, like father, like son, it's just being laid out for us right here. Amnon was doing the very thing that his father had done. It was a thing that was done in Israel. It was just a thing that should not have been done in Israel. So Tamar objects to Amnon's advances in the strongest possible language. Let me just say this. When there's trouble like this up here, this is a message we need to hear. Don't be distracted, all right, by my microphone or by the lights. Listen to what's being said. This was an outrageous evil. It was willful. It was foolish of Amnon to think that somehow this could possibly be good for either Tamar or for him or for the kingdom of Israel. She begged him not to do it. She pointed out the foolishness of the act. She asked him to consider her own feelings. Where would she go with her shame? Think of what this is going to do to me. You're going to satisfy yourself here in just a few moments, but this will... This will devastate me for the rest of my life. Again, parents, we need to realize that there are some things that we need to talk about with our children because in just a few moments, their lives can be devastated. David should have prepared his son better. Amnon was completely unreasonable. He refused to listen to her. She even appealed to his own reputation. You're going to be considered as one of the outrageous fools of Israel if you do this. He didn't care because he already was a fool. Again, it was against the law of God, but Amnon, in his own mind, was above the law. And so with complete unrestraint, he attacks her. Scripture says he being stronger than she he violated her and lay where that word violated. I mean, I mean, it's a strong word, but it's pretty mild for what took place here. It, it speaks of forced sexual submission, the infliction of pain, emotional devastation, humiliation. It means to be treated like an enemy. And all of this he did to the woman that he claimed to love. What he felt for her was not love, as we've already seen. Love is selfless. Love is sacrificial. Love seeks the benefit of the object of our love, not Amnon. This was selfish, self-gratification, nothing more. So with unrestrained abandon, he violates his own sister. Ruining her life and his. And then we see, which is so typical of situations like this, a complete lack of repentance. He gets what he wants. He takes what he wanted. And now suddenly he no longer loves her, but he hates her. He can't stand the sight of her. Go, get up, go. He orders her to go. Again, she pleads with him, what you're doing now is even worse than what you've already done. Where can I go? 
Then he has one of his servants throw her out. Get this thing out of my sight. And bolt the door behind her. Throwing her out of his bedchamber and bolting the door behind her would give the appearance that what had happened within those closed doors or behind those closed doors was her fault. And that's exactly what he intended. Couldn't be his fault. I'm Amnon. I'm the oldest son of King David. It wasn't my fault. I loved her. Amnon had to blame someone or something other than himself. And Tamar was the one that he blamed. Don't do this. Again, she begs. But once again, he refused to listen. And then to add insult to injury, neither Absalom, Tamar's brother, nor David, Tamar's father, seek any resolution to this issue. Absalom, and although we have no indication of this, but it seems that already he was looking for an opportunity that he could take hold of that would give him some strength in his rebellion that we're going to read about in the following chapters against his father, David Amnon's going to rebel against the king, against his own father. Perhaps he was already planning this because he simply tells his sister Tamar when he realizes what has happened and he realized immediately, just, just keep it to yourself. Keep your peace. Don't say anything. And then he didn't say anything. He says he didn't speak to Amnon either good or bad. He was angry with him. I believe there was already a plot hatching in his mind. But he sought no resolution for his sister. And then David, her father, becomes angry. But even though he's angry, he does nothing. He, he neither provides the comfort and reassurance of a father in a time of emotional distress of his daughter, nor does he in any way punish his son for the evil that he has done. The evil that God had said he would raise up within the house of David has been raised up and partially enabled by David himself. You know, it's been rightly stated that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. But let me tell you, David had done far more than simply nothing. Though he was the great king of Israel, the mighty warrior that was praised in song, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, though he was indeed all of these things, he had consistently set a poor example in his own house. And though he will always, I believe, be remembered as Israel's greatest king, there is no doubt that he should also be remembered as one of its poorest fathers. Dads, we've got to protect our families. We've got to love our daughters and protect our daughters. Men, you need to set a godly example for how your sons should love a woman, what that looks like. The only place they're going to see it is at home. We need to learn these lessons from David's sin and from Ammon's so that we don't see them repeating themselves in our own lives.